Thank you, Jim, for that time of just reflection and being in God's presence. Today we continue to be in the Lord's presence and hear from His Word. Uh, this comes from the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes to us, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have called us uh, to your son, our chief cornerstone, that you build us together into your people. Lord, bless your word today. Speak to each of us. Call us into a deeper place and deeper knowledge and walk with you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today, we're kind of picking back up. Uh, as we continue to celebrate, thank you, Amy, for that reminder. It's always Easter. <laughs> we are always celebrating the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate his presence with us today, we're actually continuing to think about how God is working in our lives and building us together as a people. And although this passage, or this sermon is mainly not from Nehemiah, we're kind of fitting it into the Nehemiah series a little bit. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, we saw that... Um, <laughs> The people were trying to rebuild the walls, and the people of Judah it said, look, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we're not able to rebuild the wall. Today, I think, is a message to encourage us not only to take heart and take strength, even though it's busy, even though it may feel heavy right now, but I think it's a, a reminder of to look to our chief stone, the rock. God is often used, uh, the, the metaphor of a rock or a stone is often used um, to speak to us. And in First in Peter chapter 2, actually, we are reminded um, of who Jesus is through a metaphor of a stone or a rock. The people were facing, there was too much rubble, too many stones broken down from the old wall. Those old stones became the new wall. But for us, we are always looking to the stone, uh, the one who really is the one on whom we build our lives. And so let's look together at First Peter chapter 2. It says uh, that we are to come to him, the living stone. Look, look at First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone. We can stop right there for a second. As you come to Him, the living stone. <laughs> Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, whenever we, we come to these metaphors, it can be kind of confusing, right? We stop thinking, what is this actually meaning? What is this actually talking about? Well, here we need to realize that Peter, this apostle, this follower of Jesus, was using something that ought to shock us. So often, I don't know if you kind of... Uh, do you remember the old Peanuts cartoons? Do you remember whenever the adults were talking, right? The, especially the teachers and stuff. 
Sometimes we read verses like this and they sound like that. We come to Him, the living stone. (laughs) What is that talking about? You guys know that stones aren't alive, right? They're inert. (laughs) They're rocks. They don't have any life in them. And these two words are put right together in this image. A living stone. Peter has already, we saw last week in this letter, called Jesus our living hope. Why? Because Jesus is alive. We talked about this last week because it was Easter, but we really, as Amy reminded us, we talk about this every week. Jesus is alive. The one who died for sins, the incarnate, like all the fullness of God dwelt in a person, that person died on a cross, went into the tomb, his body was laid there, he was dead three days. But three days later, he's alive. He is our living stone. He is our living stone. Not just any kind of foundation, not just any kind of rock, but He is alive. He is alive. That has a meaning to us. It means that He calls us into a relationship with God. God is not just an idea. God is not just a philosophy. God is not just something that is distant out there, some kind of concept that we believe has sort of the universe holds it together. He does those things very much so. But He's alive. Our Savior is active in our lives today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God's faithful. And He who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You, 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 you. I mean, we've been called into a relationship, fellowship, camaraderie with God. He's not just an idea. He is one that we talk to, that we have a relationship with. Jesus is alive today and is relating to us through His Holy Spirit. Jesus is here today. For those of you who are believers, you have put your faith in this fact that Jesus is alive. And you have come to believe that He is the Savior for your sins. But you act as if He's alive in your life today. So the question to me is, or the question I give is, how is your devotional life? We call it that. Sometimes we call it quiet time. Sometimes we call it time with God. But are you spending time actively with Him? And what does it look like? A young college student, his name was Thomas. His name still is Thomas. He's just not a young college student anymore. Okay, <laughs> let me make that clear. Um, a young man, his name, while he was a young man, Thomas was his name. And Thomas said to me, he said he was really devoted. He, he wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And he was a follower of Jesus. He, had, he believed that Jesus was alive and had saved him from his sins. But he said to me, Mike, I know we're supposed to like read our Bible and pray. But I've got to be honest, it's boring. Boring. It's boring. It's dull to me. In fact, I'd rather do anything else. I get nothing out of it. I said, Thomas, maybe you're getting nothing out of it because you're putting nothing into it. Do you believe when you go and you open your Bible, when you go to spend time with God, do you believe that He is there, that He is speaking to you, that God is using His Word as living and active, that this living presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit has something to do in your life today, say to you today, Brother Aaron just reminded us just a couple minutes ago that this is the church right now. Jesus is with us right now. He is doing work in our lives right now. Seeking the Lord is an action. Devotion has a little bit of devotedness to it, right? We have to 
employ our energies, our attention when we come to spend time with God. If the church is going to be the church it's supposed to be, we've got to be the people of God right now. We've got to be those that are interacting with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's really the fulfillment of a promise. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. You hear that, right? Come near to God, and He will come near to you. So wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You don't come to Him saying, Well, God, I want to get what I want, but I want to live the way I want to live. No, you can't be the double-minded. You come to Him in devotion like, Jesus, You are my Lord. You are my living stone. You are alive. I'm following You. This echoes our model. Who is Jesus? When He lived His life on earth, it talks about in the Gospels how He often would spend those early moments before anyone else is awake, alone, in quiet places, in in outskirts of town with God. This is a fulfillment of prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 30. It says, verse 21, Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among him. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah King. I will bring him near, and he will be close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. This verse applies to Jesus and who He is and who He was, but it also applies to us. Who is He who will devote Himself to being close to the Lord? In these days of being tired... Okay, I'll just confess right now. It's end of the semester. Any of you guys that live on semester systems, end of the spring semester, we're all done. Anybody believe that? I'm done. Everybody's done. My students are done. My wife is like... I think I'm going to cancel a couple of assignments. They're done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, well, you can't just cancel assignments. She's like, oh, yeah, I can. I'm the professor. <laughs> She's done. She's just done. Okay, I'll t- okay, I hope this is, this is being recorded. Okay, okay, Towson. I'm sure she's doing everything she's supposed to. It's fine. Okay, um, but we're all just at that point of being through. Here's the deal. In those moments that we are called to be in his presence, we can't just give up on our walk with Jesus. We can't. When we're tired, we need Him more, not less. Leaders, Sunday school leaders, transition team, vision team, I I don't know, whatever leaders are leaders. If you have a spiritual role in anybody else's life, this is such a word for us. In the prophet Jeremiah, he talks about there's a bunch of false prophets, false leaders. But what distinguishes the true leaders, teachers, pastors, Sunday school leaders, even parents that are teaching their children about the Lord? (laughs) Look at verse 22 of chapter 23. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Requirement number one is that we who belong to Jesus spend time with the Lord. Spend time with Jesus. We who have been purchased, who have been redeemed, who have been called into fellowship with Him, are actually living in fellowship with Him. Today, this week, let's walk in fellowship with our Lord Jesus. Let's come to Him, the living stone. He is alive. And He gives us life. But we also come to Him, the cornerstone. It's a different word that that He uses. In fact, it's translated different ways. 
quite literally the head of the corner. Some people want to call it the capstone. Um, others use the word cornerstone. If you look, he's quoting actually um, from Isaiah in the Old Testament. And if we look at it, actually probably the better translation would be a cornerstone. Would be a cornerstone. In First in Peter chapter 2, Peter quoting from Isaiah says this, For see in the scripture it says, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Why cornerstone? We sang that as a song this morning. Why cornerstone? Why is a cornerstone so important? In our modern architecture, the cornerstone is often one of those big ones that they put at the, you know, in a building, and you know, they're using bricks, but the cornerstone looks a little different. You know, maybe it's bigger, concrete looking kind of thing. And often they'll put the date that the building was finally, you know, dedicated and finished. Or who built it, maybe, you know, put a little inscription in there. It, it's, honestly, it's more ceremonial than anything else. But in the ancient world, in ancient architecture, quite honestly, in third world architecture, it, the cornerstone is extremely important. I spent some time overseas in, in Central Asia, and we were actually doing some construction work, which actually, when we go overseas, I think it's a bad idea. But we go and we're building, the people who are living there know how to do it better. Um, I've just learned that, and I'll tell you why. But <clears throat> I was there, and we were ready to go build these houses. We had big cinder blocks, and we were going to make cinder block frames for these homes. And one guy, a, a neat believer, his name was Robin, his job was a mason. He lived in that country. He was there, and he stopped us. We were so eager to go. We wanted to get and build this building. And he stopped us. And he spent forever on the first stone, making sure it was absolutely level. And especially the one right next to it, the corner piece, he had to make sure it was absolutely right. Absolutely flat and level. Absolutely angled at the right direction. And, and the angle for the two stones at the beginning were, were absolutely right. Now you guys who have any kind of engineering or construction know why, right? Because if you don't build it exactly right, if you don't get the cornerstone exactly right, if the cornerstone is not strong enough, it will crack. If it's not in the right place, your whole building will be off and you're going to have the leaning tower of Pisa before you're done, Right? Why is a cornerstone so important? Because it's foundational to the whole building. Jesus said, Jesus said um, in Luke chapter 6, he says, look, and in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he gives a story that about if you don't build your house on a foundation, the foundation of my word, when the storms come, it's going to crash. Here, Peter says, it's not just the foundation of Jesus' teaching, it's Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Can I tell you, it's got to be big enough. It's got to be big enough so that the, so that the building is set in the, in the right kind of spot. It, it, that it, it can hold on. Jesus is big enough to carry our sins. He's big enough to hold the church. He's big enough. The one by whom and for whom the universe was made is big enough. The cornerstone has to be strong enough. It can't crack under the weight and the pressure of, of, of all the other, uh, the rest of the building. Oh. Jesus is strong enough. He who died on the cross, who at any moment could call down legions of angels, he said, to rescue. He is strong enough. Um, in Hebrews it says that by his word he sustains the universe. Oh, he's strong enough to 
in trust. To, 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 Paul says, I am, I am confident that the one who I have put my trust in can keep that which I've committed to him against that day. He is strong enough. He can make it. He can hold it through. And finally, as we learn from Brother Robin, that, that cornerstone better be perfectly aligned. If there's a little bit, if it's off, it's pointing down a little bit. I mean, all of a sudden your building's going to look like this or like that. I learned this on another overseas mission trip building experience. In Cambodia, I was left by myself. I did not have a Robin Foreman kind of person. Um, the houses there are built on a firm foundation. They had nice pillars, but they're built up on stilts and for the rainy season to come, you know, when all the water is down below. And so the house is built up high. And it's kind of hard to put the, the side paneling, the slats, right, of wood that would make up the side walls of the house. It's hard to get them up there because you're way up high and for some reason we don't have ladders. So the, the idea was you would lean out sort of like and tack the panels on while you're, you do the first one and then the second one. And you're leaning out and kind of, you know, hammering away. I thought, I can handle this. So I leaned down. I, you know, I did not fall. I, you know, I was careful and... and, and Put the nails in and put the first slide in. Line the next slide up next to that. Put that one in. While I was by myself, I was pretty proud. I got almost all the way down that wall. Now, then it got tricky because then it's like, well, now we're at the end. And how do I do the next one? Okay, it got tricky. So then I thought, I'm going to take a little break. And I was taking a break, kind of waiting for somebody to show me how to do this. Some men showed up and the translator showed up. And the translator was talking to me. And she said, see the men down there? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. She said, you know what they're talking about? I'm like, no, 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 I don't speak Khmer, but maybe how good I did. She actually, she said, actually, they, they are talking about your work. You see, the first slat was just, just a little off. Just a little bit. The second one, a little bit more. The third slat, a little bit more. It's starting to look like a fan, you know. <laughs> I, if we don't get the cornerstone exactly right, if we don't, if we don't have our minds and our thinking lined up with Him, we're off. We think we can establish our own righteousness. We think we can establish our ways. Are you trusting in the cornerstone? Is your life aligned with His will? It goes on in verse seven. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, and then he quotes another passage uh, from Psalm 118. The stone the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. What's it going on? What's happening here? This verse is quoted actually several times by Jesus and later by Peter. Um, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This idea that he is precious to those who believe, but to those who reject, it's like, ah, worthless, pointless. Jesus and Peter are making the point that Jesus who came as the heir of all things, the Messiah King who was prophesied, was rejected according to God's plan, but was rejected by the religious leadership was crucified, has now become that cornerstone of salvation, that cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone that we believe and that we follow that orders our thinking. The term precious there is probably mistranslated. It's really a comparison and contrast. It's really the idea of you're either honoring him or you're dishonoring him. 
when we come to Jesus, not only do we come to Him as a living stone, but when we come to Him as the cornerstone, it means that we trust in Him alone for salvation. It means that you don't establish your own religious ways. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, I think God ought to be like this. I think God ought to like, except for, I, there's a television show, a comedy that I have enjoyed. Uh, partly because you know that I teach moral philosophy, right? Uh, over at the universities, um, I teach some classes on ethics. And there's a television show called The Good Place. Um, and The Good Place is all built on the, around the idea of there's a good place and there's a bad place. And, you know, do you go to the good place or do you go to the bad place? But it, the whole comedy is all based on ethical theories and ethical philosophy. So it's very funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to anybody else. But it's really funny to me. And somehow it made it on television. I, I enjoy the show. But the ultimate premise is, you know, we could find a better way. We could have a different way to judge morality. This is just a bad system. Well, in some ways they're right. Because it is a bad system that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. That that might be a bad system. In fact, it's a system that doesn't work. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are going to the bad place without a Savior without someone who died for our sins. If you trust your own righteousness, you're not going to make it because you haven't been perfect. Jesus died in our place. He is the cornerstone. He established a righteousness that is not our righteousness. It's His righteousness. And in fact, it's called imputed righteousness that He gave in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul explains it this way, that God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that we could be the righteousness of God. He's our cornerstone. He's our righteousness. But now he's also the one who shapes and guides our thinking and our understanding. Shapes and guides our thinking and our understanding. That he is the one that lines up perfectly with the will of God. And so we've got to get our lives in line with him. Or what happens? Well, we just think a little differently, a little differently a little differently. And by the end, our society and our lives are just totally moved on. We are called to honor Him. Honor Him and salvation, but also honor Him with saying yes to His ways and His will. It's like being invited to a wedding or a wedding banquet and saying, "Mm, I'm busy. Jesus told that parable. You could imagine, right? Getting invited by the president to come to a state dinner with all of the world leaders and all the most successful people. Hey, could you come? We're going to have a dinner and we want you to come. Oh, yeah, Mr. President. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I need to. I'm out of laundry detergent. I was planning to go to Target that day. So, no, no, I can't make it. Could you imagine such a slight? Could you imagine? I mean, I don't care if you agree with the politics or not, but could you imagine such a slight to say, no, no, oh, I, you know, I was actually needing to mow my yard. I can't, you know, I know this is a big honor, but no, I can't be there. God invites you to his salvation. God invites you to forgiveness. God invites you into a relationship through the cornerstone, through Jesus Christ. But he's the stone that the religious leaders of his day rejected. They didn't honor him. Will you honor him or are you rejecting him? Finally, today we're going to look at this third image is of Jesus as the stumbling stone. What? 
Yeah, it's a weird phrase. But, but look at it in verse 8. In, uh, it says, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Again, uh, Peter's quoting from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. And he picks up this image of a, well, the Greek word is scandalou here um, or scandalon. What is a scandalou? What is a scandalon? Well, it's quite honestly, it's a stone that's in the way. It's a rock that um, literally causes you to trip or co- blocks your path or, 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 or just gets in the way. It's often used for things that cause people to sin, right? You're walking and you're, oh, here's this temptation. Here's this thing that, oops, boy, that really tripped me up. That really messed up my life. Here it's used to refer to Jesus, not as someone who causes you to sin, of course not, but this idea that Jesus, the scandalon, gets in your way. (laughs) He gets in the way of what you want. He gets in the way of what you think is the right path, what you think your life is all about. The scandalon is that one that blocks your path and says, actually, I've called you to something so much more. It says they stumble because they disobey. Verse 8, the end of it. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Are you obedient to him? You see, if we're obedient to Jesus, he calls us to something more. What is it like? Well, he refers to it in verse 5. That you also are like living stones being built together into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Jesus Christ. The images of a temple. Uh, now, of course, the temple, they offered offerings, different types of offerings to God. We don't literally offer animals or you know, incense or something to God. But that's not what he's talking about. For us, it's these actions that God has called us to, these good deeds uh, of service. So Christ becomes our stonemason, carving us into the living stones that he's called us to be. We see this um, in one of the little-known miracles of the Old Testament. Anybody, you, you got the big ones, right? Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. That's a big miracle, right? We, we like things like that. David knocking out Goliath with the slingshot. We know that one. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, Jonah, three days in the big fish. Yeah, that, that's a good one. We know that one. Do you know this miracle? It's a good one. I like this one. <clears throat> King Solomon was building the temple with all the wealth of one of the richest men of history, building the temple. And he was carving out blocks of stone, right, at the quarry to build the temple. Here it is in verse 7 of chapter 6 of 1 Kings. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer, chisel, or any other tool was heard at the temple while it was being built. You're thinking, uh, where's the miracle? I don't see fire. I don't see big parting seas. Where's the miracle? Have you ever done construction? I, I mean, we get the, you know, the, the okay, this is a two-by-four. You know, a two-by-four is not quite two-by-four, right? I mean, you, you know that, like, oh, here's an eight-by-eight eight piece of sheetrock. You know how they ought to line up perfectly. I ought to fit. But if you've ever done construction... Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite fit, right? You get to that last piece, it's like... All right, we're going to make this fit. Somebody get a hammer. Somebody get a chisel. We're going to get this in here. They're doing gigantic blocks of stone that ended up being like Legos. I mean, they're just putting the right piece in the right place, and everything is fitting together. It was a miracle. 
This is the same image that the Apostle Paul and Peter are picking up on. It says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He's laid out in advance for us to do. You, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house that offers these sacrifices to God. You're to do these good works that He's laid out in advance for them to do. It didn't say for them. It said for you to do. Becky was one of my college students. I loved her. She, she really felt like she wanted to serve her country and she wanted to go to the Coast Guard Academy. But for some reason didn't get in. And she was at the university going, I don't know why I didn't get in. I, I want to serve my country. I want to do all these things. My grades are good. I've worked hard. I've done all these service projects. Why didn't I get in? Becky was very into like community service and helping. Well, along about one of those times, one of those big hurricanes, Katrina came through and wiped out you know, half the Gulf Coast, if you remember. We loaded up 50 college students on a bus and drove down to, to uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi to start building. And we were supposed to bring a foreman, but you know, I figured we're a bunch of college guys and girls. We, we probably can figure it out, right? And we get there, and the sort of guy in charge goes, okay, um, <clears throat> you guys are going to be roofing these houses over here. Which one of you can tell me? And he starts asking questions about roofing. How far do you start the first shingle? Where do you put the line? What do you do with you know, how many this per this and something, something? And, okay, you obviously know that I didn't know the answers. Becky did. Becky did. She led a team. She, she was rebuilding these houses. She, I mean, here's 50 college students. Becky's the foreman, man. She's got people going. She's got, I mean, she had it going to get, and she had it together. God had prepared her to be the right piece to the right place. She loved missions that summer. She went with us on a team to Senegal and fell in love with West Africa. Went back the next summer, was serving with the International Mission Board missionaries, doing some really neat work, working in schools, uh, and came back after the summer speaking the language. She was recruited to go back as a journeyman for two years, and we used to take teams to go into the schools to teach English, and the friends we would uh, make there in the, in the time would come with us, and Becky would proclaim the gospel in fluent Wolof. It was amazing to see how she was exactly the right piece for exactly the right pri- place for exactly the things that God had called her to do. The scandal on messes up our agenda. He messes up our plans. He messes up our ways, not to bring disaster in our lives, to bring us to the good place that God has, the good things that He has in store for us to do. So this morning I ask, are you coming to Him, the living stone, the one who is alive? Is He working in your life today? Are you coming to Him, the cornerstone, the one who alone died for your sins? Have you said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, I believe in you. If you haven't, maybe today is your day. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Are you coming to Him? Are you coming to Him as the scandal on? The one who is allowed to take anything in your life and change it and use it for His glory and for the good of His people. Are you saying yes to Him? Will you say yes to Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son. God, we ask that You would continue to take us, lead us, move us forward. Lord, we trust in You. We pray this in the name of our living stone, Jesus. Amen.